Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great honor to welcome David Kahn, PhD, author of Cape Spandex Briefcase Leadership Lessons from Superheroes and editor of Leader Say What blog. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much. I appreciate, I appreciate the invitation. It's great to have you on the show. I read about the book and I thought your focus is on HR and leadership, but there's so many innovation lessons that come from the book, Lessons from Superheroes, because some of the elements and some of the things you've focused on, these five superpowers, are so resonant in what is needed in leaders today. Could you take us through the concept of the book, David? Uh, Cape Spandex Briefcase is, obviously, it's a leadership book. It's a parable. It tells the story of Ben, a new leader who is trying to be a better leader. And he does that by going to a leadership guru who happens to run a comic book store. The five superpowers that Ben learns through the story that are applicable for any leader and really any innovator are the power of accountability, which means that your success is rooted in how committed you are to being accountable for the outcome, which really comes down to owning it. That's where a lot of people lose it from the very beginning because they don't own the responsibility that they're trying to take. They don't hold themselves accountable for what they're trying to do. And is that just with themselves or they're also their teams, David? Is that the context you talk about it in? I think it's from a prof- it's personal, but I think it's also holding that team accountable. Even holding a team accountable, the individual members of that team still have to own some of that accountability. You can't make someone, you can teach people a lot of things. You can not, not teach someone to be driven or motivated. So the next one is the power of conviction, and that is your value is determined by the goals you strive for and the manner in which you achieve them. So that's knowing where you're going. It's knowing that direction, knowing your vision, mission, values. And that value is a big one because it's not just what you're trying to achieve. It's how you choose to achieve it. Are you cutting corners? It speaks to your ethics, speaks to how you work with other people and really setting that precedent, especially as the leader or if you're trying to innovate. How do you go about doing that? So you have to know where you're going and how you are going to get there. Being ethical and doing things the right way is a huge branding opportunity. And so many companies lack that today. And you, you, you have seen this throughout your blog and the Leaders Say What blog, that you, you touch on this in so many ways, that companies have lost their way in a way that they don't represent anything beyond the bottom line anymore. And it's so sad, especially when you see some of these companies that really have a great product. They're selling something so important. But I mean, just last week, we're, the whole thing with United Airlines, the manner that they tried to achieve that was obviously the wrong way to do it. Yeah. And it was a PR nightmare. It's a branding nightmare. And it's something that's going to stick with them for a long time. I mean, th- those things don't, I mean, you cannot fix that quickly. That is like millions and millions of dollars. And I know their stock took a massive hit as a result of it all, but it's, it's trying to get back to zero again is such a long way for them. It's so hard to build that brand and build that reputation for being ethical, and it can go away so quickly, and it just takes one bad decision. That goes beyond an incident, doesn't it? I mean, that, that is something that was within the company. It's like a cultural problem, and you know, you, you talk about the, the, the values of the superheroes or the, the powers of the superhero. 
What, what was missing there from a leadership perspective in your view? You know, I think one of their biggest issues was they were so focused on the end goal of getting flights out on time and being properly staffed that they lost the insight of how to get to that point. They, they needed to get these four employees onto that plane so that they could get to another airport and fly. That's not such a bad thing. The way they chose to do that is where they really had the biggest issue. Yeah, so it became a task that they needed to achieve rather than if they had, you mentioned the ethical values even, or the North Star of the company to go, yeah, but client service or customer service is our, is our overarching goal. This totally clashes with that. So therefore, this is not the right result. But instead, it became task oriented and just got the job done at a huge detriment to the company. They were thinking customer service, but they weren't thinking about the customers on that plane. They were thinking about the customers on the next plane. They oh. were thinking about the customers that those four employees were going to service and not the people who were right in front of them at that moment in time. Yeah, now you see it so much, don't you, David, where you see companies who close a sale and all they're, all they're thinking about is the next sale and then they forget about the, the farming of that client or the over-delighting of that client that they already have. It takes so much extra effort to get a new client than it does to delight your current client base. We're so, we're, it's so ingrained in us to be strategic and to have this long-term vision that sometimes we lose sight of how important that short-term vision really is. And that we, we can't ignore what's happening right now in front of us with the things that we want to happen in three to five years. So many leaders appear to be just gatekeepers of a role, of a seat at the board, at the CEO level, instead of, you know, guardians of the future of a company. And, and this is something that you see time and time again, where so many companies are failing because they, they don't have that long-term vision because they're so driven or governed by quarter-to-quarter goals or bottom-line goals, and the board and shareholders demanding those, that they forget, well, we need to think long with this company and it's only privately owned companies who have the luxury of that. What, what's your view on that, David? Now, too many companies lack that visionary leader. They, if anything, what they're calling a leader is really a manager. And this does not in any way try to minimize the role of the manager. They are so important at getting things done. But you still need that person at the helm. You actually, you need multiple people at the helm who have that long-term vision, who are really trying to create something new and different and are pushing the company and pushing the people to expand and try and do new things. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of leaders a lot of leaders aren't actually leaders. They just happen to be the boss. Being the boss and being a leader are not the same thing. Yeah, and they rule with the stick and not the carrot. That's the difference. But you, you, like, what's your view on the, on the mix of that? Because there's different schools of thought where you need both. You need a mentorship kind of CEO leader, and but also you need then the CEO who might be the more the stick man or the stick woman, and they rule with the stick. But because you need a mix, don't you? Need a balance of both those skills. You do need a mix. It's rare to find one person who's doing both. Very often, you need that visionary leader who can then pass it off to someone who will actually create the processes and the systems to get it done. And if they can do that in a respectful, kind way, then all the better. 
because you, being a visionary or being this head leader doesn't mean you have to do these things with a stick. You can use motivation to get these things done. And long term, that's going to be more effective. You talk about these exemplars with superhero examples. And I love what you've done because let's bear in mind, you are a PhD. You're, you have a doctorate in this field and you, you put it into very understandable language that people can relate to. And I think that's one of the geniuses of the book. Back to the superhero powers that you, you mentioned. So we've talked about authenticity and ethics, for example, but what, what else have we got? And then you've got the power of persuasion. And this is your effectiveness is based on your ability to influence others. You know, if, as a leader, as anyone trying to create anything, if you can't convince people to follow you, if you can't persuade them and influence them, then you're really not leading and you're not going to innovate something that, is, that has any staying power. So how do you draw that out of people? Because I mentioned before about leading from, by example, for example. What other ways do you talk about the superheroes doing this? A lot of it is understanding who you're talking to. It's knowing your audience, being able to tailor what you're saying to your audience. You're con so you're convincing them and you're not forcing them. So they're coming along because they want to. And in the book, I talk a little bit about the difference between your supervillain versus your superhero. The supervillains all have lackeys who do exactly what they're told to do. And the minute they, they make a mistake, the minute they try to grow beyond their position, they are batted down by that supervillain versus your superheroes who have... They're building alliances. They have sidekicks, and those sidekicks grow up to be superheroes. They're trying to bring people along with them and not just have someone doing the dirty work for them. I love that, man, because when you think about that as well, you think about any, super, any comic or any movie, Batman, for example, and the Joker, for example, use, all his lackeys or all his henchmen are purely doing it for the money, while anybody on the superhero side are doing it for the mission or the goal or the end goal. And that's a, that's a very, very relevant difference between a leader and a manager even. No, you're right. It's, there's not going to be a successor to Joker. He doesn't want there to be a successor. He has people who, are gonna, who want to probably take him out and be in charge, but none of them are going to take over the helm versus a Batman. Robin becomes Nightwing and... Eventually, in some of the comic books, he becomes Batman yeah. when Batman retires yeah. or disappears or whatever the story may be. Brilliant. And that's, that's what Batman wants. I have this vision in my head of leaders lifting other people up the mountain with them rather than wanting to be the leader at the top of them. And, and it's, do you think that's a shift in companies of today or do you think that's just something that was lacking for so long? Because we had this vision of these hero leaders for such a long time as that's what a, a, corp, a corporation was a hierarchical structure. But now that it's very, very flat and th those kind of companies are succeeding more and more. You know, I think they're ebbs and flows. I think right now we're in a time when we are in a flattening stage. And I think at some point it's going to become more of a hierarchy again and then it'll go flat again. And it, we're, we're always trying to find that balance between the two. One of the blogs I read was this concept of gaslighting. It was a, a brilliant piece you wrote on some of the tactics that a, a more managerial style or a more di dictator style of leadership will do. And again, bringing that into the world of superheroes, 
Can we touch on what some of those tactics that a, a more maniacal leader will will employ to try and keep his staff at bay or or keep them under the under the the helm of the leader? Well, you just not you just hit one of them, which is gaslighting. Which gaslighting is a way that you can manipulate somebody else. You it's how you change their perception of reality, and you convince them that whatever they think is wrong. And for those who are skilled gaslighters, they can make that person reliant on them. So I'm going to convince you that whatever you're seeing is incorrect. But for you to really understand, you've got to follow me because I'm the only one who really sees it the way it is. It sounds simple and it sounds like it's like none of us would fall for it. But the research shows how surprising it is that we all fall for it from some from time to time. It's just not done in such a maniacal way as we're seeing now in politics and with some of the supervillains. Can we expand on that? Because like, I think it, it was something I, I had only learned of from your blog. You see it in marriages and relationships as well, where people are felt that they're lesser without this kind of um, leader or, or manager to show people the light. Not all gaslighting is on purpose. It's sometimes it's I'm trying to convince you that I'm right. And in doing that, I'm going to convince you that you're wrong. That's common debate. It's when it has sort of a negative connotation to it. It's when it becomes a little more sinister. When I'm just trying to, I need you to be completely reliant on everything I'm saying and doing. It's very popular technique when you look at um, emotional abuse in relationships. Um, that is, it, gaslighting is very popular in abusive relationships. It's how you create a henchman. Getting back to our supervillain terms, you create a henchman by making them reliant on you for all the information, and you control the way they see the world. Number four is the power of competence, which means there is no substitute for being knowledgeable and skilled. And this is where a lot of leaders are lacking. They they see them they see their position as being on the hill, dictating what where we should go and what we should do, but they don't spend enough time actually learning the details of the company and the job and the people who work for them. To be truly effective, you need to understand your industry. You need to understand and the intricacies of it, not the overview. So this goes beyond the, the roles of the people in the company, but it goes uh, it goes into the role of the company in society. Is that is that what we're talking about? We are. It's There's so many facets of being competent, but the best leaders are the ones who they know the most. They're the most informed. And to know... To, to be truly innovative, you need that history. You you need to understand what happened before, why it is the way it is now, and then that can give you some great ideas on how you can make it better in the future. Yeah, because there's this there's this kind of you, you know way of thinking where once you've got the job, then you just focus on the job. But the the, the best leaders, it seems, are constant learners. They've got a growth mindset. They're doing things like you with the blog. Like doing extracurricular things like writing a book like you have done and it's something that that a lot of old st- school leadership doesn't understand it's going to go well why would you do that why, why would you go at your own personal expense of your time and create something that you know in their view has very little value but to the person who's doing it the leader who's doing it they're going well i'm doing it because i'm learning a hell of a lot and when i blog i have to understand more and more about whatever I'm talking about, and therefore I learn it more. What, what's your view on that, David? 
You know, when I'm working with leaders, one of the biggest mistakes I see when I'm working with new leaders, one of the biggest mistakes I see is that they think that being the leader is the end goal. Once they've gotten into that role, they've got they have that promotion. Now they can, now it's easy street. And what they don't understand is it's actually the real work starts once you get that position. That's when it's harder because you do need to know so much more. And there's so you realize how much more there is to learn once you're in that position, if you're doing it the right way. Yeah. And so what, what kind of tips do you have for new leaders then? Oh, it's read as much as you can from as many different sources. Uh, talk to as many people. Networking is so important. That's a great way to learn things happening in your industry. Um, everyone talks about having this open door policy, but you need to actually walk out of your office and walk around and talk to people. And that's how you learn. That's how you absorb information. And it doesn't stop. There's not going to be an endpoint where you now know it all. And isn't what happens at a lot of leaders? It's the kind of the Peter principle where they get the job because they've excelled at their previous role, and then there's no training for them. I mean, this is what you see in so many companies, and then they complain and go, "So and so failed at that role." But you're kind of going, "But did the company fail them because they didn't give them either the bandwidth to go and?" to do management by walking around or give them that 20% time to actually go and, and meet people and talk to people and learn and, and continue to grow. Instead, they're putting out fires the whole time and it's their world is thrown into turmoil. It's very true. And just because you're a great nurse, doesn't that doesn't mean you're going to be great at leading nurses. It's being the doer and being the leader are a very different skill set. Now, if you get that promotion, then you you hopefully have mastered the power of competence. But that doesn't mean you've take you've mastered the power of accountability, conviction, or persuasion at that point. And you might not have those skill sets because no one's taught you those skill sets. You've been great at this, so obviously you're gonna be great at leading people who do this. And that's a huge problem that is a too, way too often ignored and I work with many, way too many leaders who have been doing it for 15, 20 years and have never had any formal training. Isn't it crazy, David, that the corporation or the, the company head, the board, for example, don't see this? And maybe it's because they come from a different era and more the era of the, the stick rather than the carrot. Because more and more people are looking for that meaning and they're more, they're more gravitating towards the superhero leader rather than the supervillain one. The one that gives them a reason to achieve, to go to work every day, rather than they have to, to get paid. You know, I think it's, I think it's a difference in the mentality. It's also a difference in how long people stay in jobs these days. Whereas people used to join one company and stay there for their entire career. Now, three to four years is, that's a good run. So let's say you're at one of those positions, you get promoted, then you leave and you go to the next job. They're assuming you got that training at the previous job. And Two or three jobs later, 15 years of your career have gone by, and everyone just assumes that you've already learned this stuff previously, so why would they need to teach you? And that assumption is one of the reasons people don't get this training when they need it. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And you see it in every aspect that people just assume that you got to the top of your previous role because you had, this is, you're, you're a fait accompli, you're finished goods, and you're kind of going, well, that's totally the opposite of what needs to happen. It's a constant journey. It's a constant journey of learning. And as you said, reading being such an important piece of the pie. Self-education, I can't, you just, you can't underestimate how important that is. And reading as many different sources and as many different things as you possibly can. 
and some of it's going to be worthwhile and, and necessary. Some of it, you just got to get through so you can get to the next thing. Yeah, because it's often you often go on these tangents where you find and, and you know your blog's one of those where it will put you down a different alleyway. Like I read that blog on gaslighting, and then I found the book on gaslighting, and then I went down that alleyway, and all of a sudden I have. A hell of a lot more books in the way via Amazon. <laughs> that's what happens. And but when when you are of that mindset, that's a joy. I mean, that's a, it's a joy having all these books to get through. Not I have to get through those books because nobody's making you do it. And and I that's what I love about meeting people like you and and you know finding your blog, etc. Well, now, writing this blog, I thought it was going to be just me talking about the things I've learned. It turns out that it has quadrupled my reading list with every idea I find a new book and a new article and a new thing I want to learn more about. Likewise, man. And, and it's, this is the same for me with this show that I find great people like yourself. And all of a sudden now I have to take on more and have to read more. And, and one book leads to another three. It's like they multiply. It's like they're like gremlins after midnight with water on them. <laughs> so, so man, we'll, we'll come back to the superpowers because I keep doing this. <laughs> it's good. You're like, I could have told you this in three minutes, man. Okay, sorry, I'll come back to it. So the last superpower is the power of collaboration. And that's the key to achieving a goal is to involve others. So this is this involves brainstorming and team-based leadership and really gets back to what you were talking about with top-down leadership. And it's you've got to convince people to come along with you. It's not like it used to be where you could just dictate orders and people followed you. You need to involve and get buy-in and grow your base. It's funny that one because don't don't you find like if you come from a position where you've grown up through the company and you've you've all of a sudden become the leader that you probably got to where you were from getting getting stuff done. So you got things done ahead of time, maybe ahead of budget, on time and efficiently, and then you find yourself in a leadership role and you're less doing the role, less doing the work and more actually delegating the work or, or being the puppet master of those who do the work. And therefore, you, you, you get into this uncomfortable zone where you're like, well, I, I should be just quicker doing it myself. And that, that seems to be someplace a lot of people fall down in leadership roles. Oh, it's a huge mistake that leaders make. It's when they stop delegating because they have that mentality that they can do it themselves. And then they get resentful that no one else is doing anything. And... If they were truly introspective, they'd realize that they cut everyone else out. So people aren't doing it because they've told them not to do it over a certain period of time. It's You're not going to make it, and you're not going to be able to handle more responsibility, and you're not going to get promoted to the next leadership position. Because I know for me, when I'm trying to promote leaders, I'm looking for someone who can delegate because I can't dump more responsibility on you and expect you to do it by yourself. That's not leadership. And this is where people go, you need to use more your brain and less your brawn. You can only get so much done with your physical body. You need to use your top six inches to actually get a hell of a lot done. Absolutely right. Can we do a rundown? Because I, I totally interrupted the flow of the, of the five <laughs> superpowers. People are going on, what were those five superpowers again? Sure. They are the power of accountability, the power of conviction, the power of persuasion, the power of competence, and the power of collaboration. So David, from, from an innovation perspective, we've talked about the, the superhero powers, the superpowers, and from a, from a leadership perspective, but very much leadership is innovation and innovation is leadership they're the same thing the same powers are needed for both 
What's your view on innovation in the world today? Listen, I'm a leadership expert. That's what I study. And the best leaders are innovators. They're innovators in their field. They're innovators in, in their companies, both internally and externally. They are creating new things. And they're getting buy-in to do that. They are, and part of that is building that strategy. So even if they're not an expert on making the widget that their company creates, they're an expert on something that makes them useful in that position. So maybe they are innovative marketers, or maybe they're innovative finance people. Maybe they're just innovative culture builders so they can get the people to do what they need to do in the most productive and positive way. And I, I read a study in that when we're talking about strategic planning, only about 19% of the senior executives use innovation in their strategic planning, and which is surprising. You would think more strategic planning would involve innovation. They're focused more on the budgeting and the forecasting. While 19% of the senior executives feel this way, feel that budgeting and forecasting is used more, almost 70% felt that it should be flipped and more time should be spent thinking of it in a more innovative way. It's so true, David. I mean, I work with Catawave and we, we see this time and time again and companies are so driven by the quarterly targets or budgets you mentioned as one of the top superpowers courage and it's having a leader who has the courage to go you know what this isn't working because the ship is going to hit an iceberg and i want to be going back to a superhero analogy i want to be the superhero who prevents crime happening at all not let it happen and be the one who fixes it because that's a real true leader it's funny you mentioned courage sometimes that courage is the courage to change course and that's, that can be very difficult. If you've put your entire reputation into doing this one thing and doing it a certain way, it's very hard to say, you know what? I was wrong. There's a better way to do it. And let's try this. I, People I, are afraid that's going to hurt their reputation when really in the long term, it makes them a better leader to be able to admit a fault and, and have a new plan in place. Yeah. And to, and to actually to realize that the people who got you to where you are today are not necessarily the people you need to get to where you need to be tomorrow because the company will totally change. And IBM have taken a total U-turn on the company with, you know, Watson and the whole data analytics play that they didn't have, you know, in the past. And now this is becoming the hook they hang their company hat on for the future. And how many companies started at the same time as IBM and we don't even remember who they are because IBM had the courage to change with the times, to to have these to work on these new products that might not have ever gone anywhere. Watson, when they first started it, very easily could have, could have gone nowhere. It could have failed, but they had the courage and the and they believed in themselves enough to know this could be one new avenue. We need to try it. So it's that experiment, that willingness to experiment. Yeah, man, I love that you said that because it, it's that as well. It's that. It's like, I'm going to bet on there's 10 horses in the race and I need to bet on them all. Maybe not at the same extent on each of them, but I need to bet on several futures because nobody can predict the future. You can make really strategic bets on it, but you can't predict what's going to happen. And we've seen that political turmoil across the world that has impacts that people don't foresee. But you need to, you need to be the one who experiments. And, and it brings it back to what you said about even from yourself as a leader, you have to innovate yourself, but you have to constantly learn because, and the company has to as well. So it's so synonymous between the leader and the company that becomes the culture. Technology is moving so fast that you can't allow yourself to get behind because the minute you'd lose the next thing, 
then you're going to lose what's after that and what's after that. And the learning curve is going to get so steep that you're never going to be able to reach it. And it looks oftentimes that the company stock fell off a cliff all of a sudden or you know, the company disappeared overnight. But it's been happening for a long, long time. And it just, it just appears like it has happened overnight. And it's from this lack of leadership, this long-term leadership, three to five-year horizon plus, that's, this is where we're going to be then. Yes, th- things are going to change, but at least I have a North Star from where my company's going today. Oh, no, listen, you're so right. When you look at that steep incline in their profit, at some point, many companies start coasting and they're relying on their past reputation and their image and their successful product. And when you see that dip, yeah, it does look like it just came out of nowhere. But that's because they stopped innovating at a certain point and they started just leaning back and enjoying the success that they'd already achieved. Absolutely, man. And when you look at Bezos and Amazon, I mean, they are the exemplar of thinking long, of long-term planning, of betting on several horses for the future and acquiring correctly. And, you know, admitting failure as well. When companies don't work out, they just shudder them. They, I mean, you must see them as a total leadership case. Oh, and when you talk about betting on those 10 horses, just look at the drones. Who would have thought that when they started working on drones, that that would be the new way that they're going to start delivering products to people? That's that's thinking five moves ahead. Yeah, it reminds me of the Wayne Gretzky quote about skating to where the puck is going, not where it is today, that that's how Bezos and his team live they live that with that mindset. And if you're if you have a couple horses in the game, then yes, they're not all going to work out. You you have to have the courage to know when to when it's a loss leader and when you need to get rid of it, and when you need to put more energy and resources into another one that's pulling out ahead. Yeah. So that's that could be your drone that is barely operational today, but you know that in ten years that's going to be the way to go. Have you any other then lessons for? leadership lessons that can translate into innovation? You know, it's ultimately, I think it's about having a strong customer focus. I think it's about not necessarily knowing what the people need today, but understanding their needs and being able to address those. That's where a lot of innovation comes from. A lot of innovation is figuring out new ways to use the things we already have. So innovation, I think, can often get overwhelming because someone's trying to create something that never existed and that's not typically how it works. It's, it's incremental changes. It's incremental growth. Maybe you don't notice all the increments and all you see is the end product. So you feel like this thing just came out of nowhere. But that's not, how it, that's not really how it works. When you look at the iPhone, the iPhone didn't just come out of nowhere. Before the iPhone, there were cell phones. There were Palm Pilots. There were all these other smartphone pieces of the smartphone that became what we now think of as this total disruptor in the cell phone information age. Yeah, and do you know what one of the things, man, you you might have a a point on this, is when you think of the Apple ecosystem and you think that it's end-to-end, you just get this feeling that every part of the company is connected and that there doesn't seem to be silos. There may be product silos, but in 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 an end-to-end company that includes the hardware and the software and, you know, has a vision from, from end to end of a product, you feel that that's one of the reasons it succeeds. Absolutely. When you think about, and the word synergy has become sort of a buzzword or was a buzzword, and it's having that synergy and that alignment throughout the company. So and we, when we talk about Apple, sure, they, 
they have different groups that are working on the phone versus the iPad, but they are all so tied together. And the functionality, they speak the same language, and the, function, the functionality just flows from one to the next. That doesn't happen when you silo your entire company, the pieces of your company. You, you have to have a way to break down the silos. You need a free flow of information. And, and from a leader's perspective, I mean, so many leaders will inherit cultures like that. Have you any advice for those kind of guys, David? The advice is, it sounds simple, but it's not. It's, you've got to break the silos. You have to create opportunities for people to learn from one another who don't necessarily work together on a day-to-day basis. You, you can't just work on the culture of a team. You've got to work on the culture of all the teams and how those teams integrate and communicate and trust one another. And that trust is a big piece of it. If they don't trust one another, they're not going to share information. So you have to allow for risk-taking. You have to allow people to make mistakes. You have to create some informal social settings so that people see each other as people and not just the barrier to get their thing done. Getting away from these sheep dip innovation weekends away and you know noteboarding sessions for the sake of them, but actually make real impactful changes. Like one of the things I read in Pixar they did was that they had the tech team and the you know the creative team at separate parts of the company and they put the the canteen right in the middle so they had to mix and they brought everybody together it's these kind of bigger thinking initiatives that make the big difference it's and it you know those things sound so simple but they can have such a big impact uh, i've i worked with one company where every quarter everyone moves to a different workspace so and they don't get to they have people who decide where everyone's going to move and the idea is complete integration so you're you you get to know after three or four quarters you're gonna you know half the company at this point and you know them well because you've been sitting next to them for the last three months and it sounds it sounds like a simple thing and people kind of go oh yeah sure that wasn't a big deal but to do it to actually do it is a huge deal it's a huge deal I mean, besides being a logistical nightmare, it's it makes a big impact, a positive impact into the culture, especially when the CEO is part of the, one of the people making the move. Brilliant. And so the CEO actually went and made these moves as well. Oh, yes. She did it with everybody else. Brilliant, man. Well, it's been a fascinating chat, and I really highly recommend people check out your blog, Leaders Say What. It's been a pleasure talking to you, author of Cape Spandex, Briefcase, Leadership Lessons from Superheroes. PhD, David Kahn, but thank you for joining us. Thank you, it's been great. So now on the Innovation Show, we welcome Robert Farrell, Director of the Digital Marketing Academy. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi there, Aiden, it's great to be here. Yeah, we've been a long time planning for this one. There's so many topics I've heard you talk about in conferences, on events, on podcasts, and radio shows, but I'd love to hone in on one of them, which is the topic of dark social which so many people are unaware of as a topic, what is dark social? So I'm going to hand over the mic to you and let us know what it is. Sure. Well, dark social is really around all the different conversations that we as audiences and consumers and just general people, it's those conversations we're having, but they're private or invisible. So organizations and brands aren't really able to see those. They're not getting transparency or metrics around them. And some of the big platforms that we already use every day for dark social are things like Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Snapchat, and WeChat. So they're the ones that we use on a regular basis, but 
there's just not that same transparency for the brands to see exactly what we're doing, what we're talking about. So they can't get that sentiment analysis. And it's also harder for them then to market to us. Yeah, you, and you've been a long time in digital marketing and the digital game, essentially, since content has gone digital, essentially. But one of the things, and we've talked about this before, a kind of a bugbear is the vanity metrics in the world of digital, where people are hanging on to followers and likes, etc., or or the amount of links shared. But it, but it's stuff like dark social is actually real, really shared content because it relies on the content being so good that people aren't sharing it from a vanity perspective. They're more going to somebody like, it's me sending you an industry piece of content that I know is going to be very valuable to you. And I don't care about the public knowing about that. That surely is much more valuable traffic. Absolutely. I kind of see it as being almost like your premium traffic or your premium uh, recommendation in the sense that if you or I are going to be sharing something through a public feed, so maybe, you know, it's on Facebook in the news feed, I tag you and you get it, that's fine. Maybe I want to be seen to be sharing that content. But if it's through dark social, there is a real level of trust and care because if I send it to you, it's private. It's something that I know you're going to act on. It could be, for example, something you're going to purchase or a vacation place you're going to go to. There's a a real kind of instinctual or an implicit trust or recommendation behind that message much more so than, as you said, the vanity of being seen to be tweeting about something. It's it's really being able to trust the other person who send it to you. So in terms of search intent and search and purchase behavior later on, it really is a kind of a premium action. Yeah, and it's it, as you said, it's it's almost like front door traffic where, you know, social shares might be side door traffic that are coming in through the social media rather than people coming direct to your website. But this is me going to you it's like a recommendation to go rob here's a piece of content i know it's very valuable it might be a report or a study etc and it's it's really really valuable to you but if if we zoom out and actually think about the bigger picture of the amount of content people get and they're measuring you know direct traffic or referrals etc dark social is actually a huge part of the pie Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm reading research even as far back as Radian's 2014 report, and it was saying that at that stage, dark social sharing was 69% of shares globally. But then it's kind of ironic that a lot of our activity as marketing professionals and businesses is towards the other social networks, you know, the public ones, the ones that are not dark social, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and so forth. But they only account for 31% of social shares. So there's this kind of an imbalance between where our activity and our budget is, which is the kind of the public sphere, and then the dark social, which is where a lot of the now sharing actually happens with our audiences. And when that when that study came out as well, it was before the huge growth of messenger apps as well. So there's even more platforms for people to share dark social on since that 2014 report. Oh, completely. I mean, you know, the messaging apps have really come on and I think that they're really, really going to fuel the growth of dark social even more. So, for example, just even today, I've been checking out what Facebook are talking about at the FA conference and some of their big priority areas are really going to be impacting on dark social because it's it's the blending of the AI and the dark social or the messenger app. So 
the quick example here is that basically Facebook's messenger is going to drift away from what we currently see as a messaging tool. And it's going to definitely start to look a lot more like WeChat, which essentially is almost like an e-commerce platform built in. So you'll be able to use your Facebook Messenger to you know, connect with friends, but you'll also be able to discover and interact with different brands. You can listen to Spotify. There's an Apple integration on the way. But artificial intelligence is going to be added into the Facebook Messenger as well, which means it's going to be your virtual assistant. It's going to help you to find local cinema times, find out what are the cool restaurants that you should visit. And even from example from the States with Bud Light, find out when the big game is on if you're a big sports fan and order some Bud Light to your house. So the Messenger app which is part of dark social is going to be less about just messaging and it's now going to be an extension of the self. It's going to have all that great seamless convenience as I call it, that you're going to be able to use it, which means audiences are going to be using dark social even more in the next couple of months. Yeah. So they've been incentivized because the user experience is getting so, so much better. So to break it down, what else do you see coming down the line? You, you mentioned the FA conference and you mentioned those great examples of Budweiser. Give us some more examples of how we we will see it integrating more and more into our our digital lives. Well, one that I've been looking at as well now is WeChat. I mean, WeChat is something that I never paid a huge attention to probably last year or the year before, but they've been making big roads coming in to Europe in the last couple of weeks and months. So what you can do there in the future is going to be that you'll be able to use it just like Instagram meets an e-commerce platform, as in you'll be able to use it for messaging, but you'll be able to discover different brands, peruse through their stock, through their online store, purchase the item, view the tickets, and you'll also be marketed to as well with content. You know, video is going to be massive and continue to grow. So WeChat is one of those things that I think if you don't have an account, definitely set up yourself a WeChat profile and just watch it because there's going to be big UX changes coming in the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months. These apps are becoming more and more payments gateways, aren't they? Because there was, there's a big problem around social traffic or even any kind of web traffic to do with attribution. So it's like, how do I attribute that ad being clicked on to the sale in the shop or, or the sale on an e-commerce platform? And if if all the platforms like Facebook, like WeChat, like WhatsApp can actually solve the payments gateway, then they have a direct correlation between the ad was clicked, people press this button, and I know that it directly came from your advertising investment. Do you see that more and more coming to the fore? Absolutely. I mean, we think it was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, Snapchat had some problems around its own metrics and they, they brought in the help of Nielsen to help them with that. In the last couple of months, Facebook has had their own issues with metrics. But I think that that's going to be one of the key barriers now that will be overcome in dark social. It's the attribution modeling that you mentioned. The idea that we can check through our whatever it's going to be, our Whooper or Google Analytics or whatever we're using, we're going to be able to check exactly which campaigns brought in the traffic. Because currently what we're seeing with dark social is a couple of things. First of all, if you go into your Google Analytics, you might see that it was Facebook traffic, but you don't know if it's Facebook, if it's the messenger or which particular ad you're just seeing generally Facebook or you're also seeing maybe not provided. So you're just not getting the full picture of what traffic that is, what campaign that was. 
And I don't think that that's going to be a monumental hurdle to cross. I think it's just a technical issue that once we can get those metrics for brands, uh, they're going to see the value. And keep in mind, it's in the platform's best interest because these platforms, WeChat, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook Messenger, for example, they are there to make money. Um, you know, Facebook isn't there for the good of anything else. It, it is a commercial entity. We know that from the IPO. So they're going to be trying to cross that bridge as soon as possible. And WeChat, if they're ever going to want to continue to expand outside of China in a monumental way, they're going to have to cross that kind of analytics chasm. Yeah, it's a massive chasm as well, and it's, I'm sure it's something you you guys uh, encourage in the digital marketing academy. But what what kind of advice can you give to a marketer today, from from the point of view of somebody who's a traditional marketer and they're learning digital skills? What, what kind of advice can you give them in this world of chatbots and of attribution and indeed dark social? Well, I think it's that a splatter gun approach is not going to work. And what I mean by that is if you have the same generic message across all platforms and it's across maybe your TV, your radio, your billboard as well, if you have that one single message, it's just not going to play through on all the different platforms. So that means don't be just broadcasting. But what do you do instead? it goes back to the really, really old message that we've been actually talking about for about maybe two decades as marketing professionals. And that's about relationships and engagement. It's about actually putting out content or putting out experiences through the dark social that your audiences are going to like, they're going to love it, they're going to be interested in it, they're going to want to share it. But I think where we can do that at scale, because it can be difficult, where we can do it at scale is going to be with the use of chatbots. So, for example, again, looking at the F8 stuff coming out of Facebook, they showed how you'll be able to go online into the messenger and you'll be able to use the app to book your flowers or book your tickets, book your event. So what's going to happen is engagement is going to become semi-automated inside chatbots, inside dark social. So what I mean there is if you're a traditional marketer, we need to be really getting close with our IT team, our chief technical officer, our designers. And I want to be clear about a particular mindset that I think is the way forward. Some people are seeing technology and automation as the thing that's going to take our jobs or displace our jobs. What I really think is going to happen here is that this is almost like the next industrial revolution. If we use technology and we use people, that's how we can scale businesses. That's how we can become better. We can get competitive advantage from operational use of chatbots, for example. So it's not about technology taking jobs or anything. It's about addressing the new problems, the new challenges and opportunities. And technology is the only way that we can do it. Brilliant, Rob. Well, that's fantastic advice. And uh, let us know where people can find you and the Digital Marketing Academy. Sure. Well, look, I'd love to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. So you can catch me at Robert Farrell. You can also catch me on Twitter as well. So I put out a lot of stuff on both platforms around kind of future tech, but even around current practice and just kind of stuff that I really like around digital. Robert Farrell, Director of Digital Marketing Academy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Aidan.